Section 9 of The Luck of the Dudley Grahams by Alice Calhoun Haynes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Colleen McMahon. Wednesday, February 11th. Our precious Robin has been far from well lately. For some time now he has almost given up trying to walk. His crutches seemed to tire him more and more, and his left side has become so helpless that when he did attempt to get about it reminded one of a little lame bird trailing a broken wing. The greater part of the day he has passed propped up with pillows in the big rocker in the window, or lying in his little crib because he was too tired to sit up, and the deepening shadows beneath his eyes have quite wrung our hearts. Dr. Porter has been very kind and attentive, but far from satisfied, and last week the stern edict went forth. Robin was to go to bed and stay there, for no less a period than six weeks, with a heavy weight attached to his little thin leg. Well, there is one comfort. Our darling baby seems more like himself since he has been forced at last to give up. He's lost some of the languor and gentle indifference that seem to be growing on him. His merry grin flashes forth with reassuring frequency, followed by the deep dimple high in his cheek. He's resting, said the doctor, and he needs it. That boy's grit clear through, a quality of which I don't approve in patience, Miss Elizabeth. Would you rather have them whine? I asked. Yes, returned the doctor uncompromisingly. I would. But Robin will never do that. In the first place, everybody is too good to him. Mrs. Burroughs, Miss Brown, and the three Lyleses. Indeed, Mr. Lyle is kind as kind can be. He has brought fruit for Bobsy several times, and seems quite distressed because, the little invalid, has not a better appetite. Today he declared that he really did not see how the child managed to survive on such a small amount of sustenance. Whereat Ernie giggled, and I had some difficulty controlling my countenance, for it was at the table the observation was rumbled forth, just as the kind hippopotamus was finishing his third helping of turkey. Yes, turkey, if you please, though certainly it did seem some weeks ago as if the little Grahams could never again claim even so much as a bowing acquaintance with that royal bird. And after the turkey came ice cream and mince pie, served by Rose in a spotless cap and apron, while Rosebud purred upon the warm hearth in the kitchen, waiting his turn to lick the plates. For no sooner did Plenty begin to smile again upon our household than Ernie, naughty Indian giver, demanded back her pet. Mary would just as soon have one of the grocer's new kittens, she affirmed. I've asked him about it, and he says we may take our pick. So the compromise was effected. Rosebud, sleek and debonair as ever, returned to grace our home, and such a welcome as the children gave him. Indeed, we were all glad. Things have not been so comfortable for months, which reminds me of Robin's poem. It was this morning when I was washing his face that Bob's repeated it to me. A little soap got into his eyes. He screwed them up and then remarked, You must be more careful, Elizabeth, when you wash me, else my poem won't stay true. Your poem, Bobsy, I repeated, though certainly by this time I should be accustomed to the family weakness. Yes, answered Robin shyly. Ernie wrote one, you know, and Hayes, too, so I thought I would. Shall I say it? And, without waiting to be pressed, he graciously began. Oh, what a lucky child am I, as here upon my bed I lie, with all my needs and wants supplied, my food and everything beside, clams and white mice and kittens all, and when I'm cold my mother's shawl. Isn't that pretty? 
"'Indeed it is, honey,' I answered. "'How did you come to think of it?' "'Well,' confessed Robin, "'I'd been crying just a little yesterday, Ellie, "'because I wanted to pretend to play tag, "'and I couldn't see out the window, "'and so I had to blow my nose. "'And I fell for my handkersniff under the pillow, "'and there it was. "'I didn't have to ring or anything. "'And that made me think how lucky I am, "'and so I made up the poem. "'Is it nice enough to be written down?' "'It certainly is,' I answered.' I'll put it in my diary, and some day, when you are a big fat man, Ellie will read it aloud to you, and we will both laugh. Why will we laugh, Ellie, dear? asked Robin innocently. Because we will be so glad that the little sick boy who composed it grew up strong and well, I answered. And so I have written the poem here, that I may be able to fulfill my part of the prophecy. But now I want to talk a little of Geoffrey, for we are really anxious about him there is no doubt the boy is very much changed. Yesterday afternoon he dropped in to see Ernie nearly an hour before school was out. Why, Jeff, I said, what are you doing here so early? It's scarcely two o'clock. Ernie isn't home yet. Did you have a half-holiday? Geoffrey looked confused. I guess your clocks are wrong, he answered. Can you give a fellow a bit of lunch, Elizabeth? I thought you got your lunch at school, I returned, but of course if you're hungry... Rose has just finished baking, isn't that luck? And I ran down to the kitchen, where a glass of milk, a couple of bananas, and a plate of hot gingerbread were quickly collected. Jeff ate in silence, crumbling his gingerbread over the tray cloth on the library table. Geoffrey, I remonstrated, that's too good to waste. What you don't want, I'm going to take up to Robin. All right, answered Jeff, pushing his plate indifferently toward me. How is the kid? Then he broke into a short chuckle. I say, Elizabeth, he remarked, there's a trained bear out at the zoo that would tickle Bob's most to death. I've been feeding it peanuts all the morning. It's gentle as a kitten, the keeper says. Jolly good sort he seems, too, and... Geoffrey, I accused in sudden shocked enlightenment. You've been playing hooky. Jeff flushed angrily and bit his lip. Well, and if I have, he blustered, it's nobody's business but my own, I suppose. It certainly is somebody's business, I answered decidedly, and you ought to be ashamed of yourself. After all the trouble you were in last term over hockey and athletics, I should think you would have learned that such foolishness doesn't pay. Jeff sprang to his feet. Now see here, Elizabeth, he said, I'm not going to be jawed by you. I get enough of that sort of talk at home. If you can't be pleasant, I'll go somewhere else. There are plenty of other places where a chap can spend the afternoon and Hollister and Sam Jacobs are glad enough to show them to me. Very well, Geoffrey, I answered, if you choose to treat the matter so. Only, I warn you frankly, in that case I shall go directly upstairs and tell Mother. I shan't feel that I have any choice, and she will tell Uncle George, I know. Jeff turned on me incredulously. You sneak, he cried, if that doesn't sound exactly like Mita. Oh, Jeff, dear, I expostulated, hurt and shocked by his violence. Don't let's quarrel or misunderstand each other. You know very well I don't want to get you into trouble. But Sam Jacobs and Jim Hollister are not the sort of fellows you ought to associate with. I don't believe you really enjoy the places they take you to, either. And in the end, it can't help but be found out. You are doing yourself an injustice, Geoffrey. Truly you are. Come, let's sit down and talk things over quietly. I laid my hand on his arm. He tried to shake it off, but the next instant his face changed. Hang it all, Elizabeth, he blurted out. If I had sisters like you and Ernie, or a mother, and 
the first thing i knew big strong manly jeff had broken down and was sobbing like a baby his head buried in his arms on the library table and presently the whole wretched story came out it seems that things had been going from bad to worse ever since last september it was only by unusual pressure brought to bear by aunt adelaide and equally unusual acquiescence on the part of the school authorities that jeff managed to be promoted with his class this year and he entered the new grade heavily conditioned in nearly all his studies this in itself was bad but what made the matter still harder was that in his case a weekly report has been substituted for the customary monthly one he tutors three afternoons a week and his progress is kept under rigid supervision so if i'm not nagged about french i am about latin said poor geoffrey and i tell you elizabeth the schedule i'm carrying this year is enough to daze a solomon but do you really try to study jeff i asked have you made one honest effort to set things right jeff flushed yes i have he answered sullenly but nobody believes it and recently i've had so many headaches and i don't sleep well nights and if aunt adelaide knew that i suggested she'd think i was faking concluded jeff heartily and i don't know that i blame her much he admitted the next minute you see we never have gotten along i was seven when my own mother died and nine when the governor remarried just old enough to resent it i remember for three weeks i wouldn't call her mama till finally the matter was taken to headquarters and i had to and then Mita didn't make things any easier we fought from the very start and they've managed to set the governor against me till now well the latest threat is if my march reports don't show market improvement i'm to be packed off to the catskills for the summer to a little tin soldier camp where the fellows wear toy uniforms and tutor all through vacation pleasant prospect then Jeffrey, why in the world play hooky i asked and throw away your last possible chance of avoiding it jeff was silent come be sensible i urged things do look black i admit but if for the next few weeks you learn the lessons said each day and look neither forward nor back that's just it interrupted jeff you've hit the nail on the head there's there's too much behind me elizabeth i can't learn what we're having now because i didn't last term or the year before and and you haven't any idea how hard it is when everybody's down on a chap now that i'm out of athletics the fellows that i used to go with have no further use for me i never did get along with the grinds and hollister jacob and their set are always cordial and pleasant at least i've got to associate with somebody i suppose y you don't know what you're talking about that's all yes i do geoffrey i replied it won't be easy to turn round i know but what's the use of complicating matters still further right is right and wrong wrong and hooky never paid yet will you give me your word that you'll go to school tomorrow again jeff was silent and i waited it seemed hard unsympathetic yet what was i to do will you give me your word jeff i reiterated all right he muttered sullenly at last you have the whip hand i'll go to school tomorrow and the day after i won't promise any more than that and saturday if i haven't seen the governor myself you're welcome to go and tell him anything you please does that satisfy you it did not entirely but in jeff's stubborn mood it was the best i could hope for and at least he will have time to think things over till the end of the week poor foolish fellow 
I hope I shan't be obliged to tell. Saturday, February 14. Jeffrey has run away. So that was what he meant by promising to go to school till Saturday. I feel as if I were partly responsible, and yet how could I have suspected? He was over here late yesterday afternoon. I did not have a chance to see him as mother was out, and Robin rather feverish and fretful. But Ernie and he talked together in the workshop for nearly a couple of hours, and after he went, Ernie came down to dinner with such red eyes. "'What is it, dear?' I asked at last, when she and I were undressing together in our little room. "'Was Jeff in one of his moods again?' For Ernie had been on the verge of tears all the evening. She dropped upon the bed then with a little wail and buried her face in the pillows. "'I should say he was,' she sobbed. "'I couldn't do a thing with him.' That hateful military camp. It's enough to drive anybody to desperation. Is it settled, I asked? Must Jeff really go? Oh, don't bother, Elizabeth, returned Ernie, almost crossly. He's going to talk to Uncle George tonight. He gets his allowance Fridays, you know, and tomorrow we'll hear. Then she turned her face to the wall and pretended to go to sleep. But she was restless for hours, and once she cried out wildly in her dreams, "'Jeffrey, you mustn't! You mustn't, I tell you!' No wonder she was anxious, poor child, for it seems that Jeffrey, after having first obtained a promise of secrecy, confided his plans to her yesterday afternoon. She's the only person who knows where he is now, and entreaties and arguments are equally of no avail. We simply cannot get her to tell. The first alarm reached us this morning, just as we had risen from the breakfast table, there was a sharp ring at the doorbell, and Rose, answering the summons, found Maria, one of Aunt Adelaide's maids, outside. "'Is Master Geoffrey here?' asked Maria rather breathlessly, and upon receiving Rose's denial, she cried out, "'Then Lord o' mercy knows what's become of him, for he ain't been home all the morning, not even to his breakfast, and Missus and the boss, too, are in a great taking.' Mother and I, who were on our way upstairs, overheard the exclamation and turned back. "'What is it, Maria?' asked mother, after having sent Rose down to the kitchen again. Master Jeffrey's not been here since yesterday. You say he was not home to breakfast? No, ma'am, answered Maria, and proceeded to pour forth her tale. It seems that Jeffrey has been in the habit of oversleeping recently, which indulgence greatly irritated Aunt Adelaide. Mrs. Graham thinks it's only manners for the family to sit down to meals together, Maria explained. So, this morning, when Master Geoffrey did not come, she sent Jenny up to knock at his door, and Jenny, she knocked and knocked again, but got no answer. So, after a bit, she came down and said she could not make Master Geoffrey hear, and Mr. Graham jumped up. I'll wake him myself, he says. We've had enough of this sort of nonsense. And he went and called very angry-like at the foot of the stairs, but still there was no reply, and I was rather sorry for Master Geoffrey when his pa snatched off one of his slippers and ran upstairs and threw open the bedroom door. He's going to catch it, sure enough, like any babby, I thought, but he didn't, because the room was empty. The bed had not even been slept in. Hello, says Mr. Graham in a disturbed sort of way, and he put on his slipper and came downstairs again, and directly breakfast was over, they sent me here. Can Ernie know anything of this? asked Mother, turning to me. She is Geoffrey's usual confidant. Run upstairs and get her, Elizabeth. I believe she's taken Rob in his tray. All the color died out of Ernie's face when she saw me enter the nursery, but it flooded back again in a crimson wave as she listened to Mother's message. However, she settled Bobsy to his breakfast and quietly followed me down the stairs. 
"'Have you any idea where Geoffrey is, Ernie?' asked Mother gravely. Ernie's long lashes swept her cheeks. "'Isn't he at home?' she returned, in a tone that was intended to sound innocent. Mother smiled just a little. "'Don't be foolish, dear,' she replied. "'If you know anything about Geoffrey, it is only right for you to tell us. We are not his enemies.' For a moment Ernie stood silent. Then she said, very low, "'I know, but I can't tell. I've promised.' At that instant there sounded a second peal at the bell. This time it was Uncle George. Never before in my life have I seen him so upset, though it was evident he tried to appear indifferent. His first words were addressed to Maria. "'Go home to your mistress, my good girl,' he said. Then, turning to Mother, "'It does not answer to send servants on such errands. They simply stand and gossip.' Mother flushed a little. "'Maria is quite blameless,' she replied. "'I desired to hear all she knew in regard to Geoffrey.' "'Have you any further news?' Uncle George laid his hat carefully upon a chair and felt in his coat pocket. "'It seems the young scamp left a note,' he said, in a voice that was husky, despite his assumption of unconcern. "'It was not in his room, or we would have found it earlier. He gave it to Georgie last night, telling him to give it to me this morning, as soon as he had finished breakfast in the nursery.' And Uncle George handed Mother a folded sheet of paper. "'Dear Father,' we read, I was looking over her shoulder, I find that I shall have to go away, for I meant what I said when you gave me my money tonight. It would be beastly to go to that military camp, and I can't study and keep things up in the way that is expected. It makes my head ache. Perhaps there's something the matter with the part of my brain which I have inherited from you. But don't worry, this will not keep me from being a good businessman, which has always been the fate I have most wished for. I am sorry to have made so much trouble, and I'll come back some day. Don't let Georgie forget me, and don't you forget me either. Your loving son, Geoffrey Meadows Graham. I wanted to cry as I read it. Poor, blundering, affectionate Jeff, with his atrocious spelling and his inherited brain. Mother handed the note to Uncle George again, without a word. Well, he said shortly. It is very like Geoffrey, she said, though I never could have supposed he would run away. What are you going to do? I myself, returned Uncle George, would prefer to wait and give the young beggar a chance to grow tired of his experiment. That's the medicine he needs. A chap who can throw over a good home such as Geoffrey has ought to be made to rough it a bit. But the women folk won't hear of it. Mita and her mother are in a great taking. They imagine all sorts of foolishness, and it's on account of them, more especially, that I've come over to interview your Ernie. Come, young woman, what have you got to say for yourself? Do you know anything of Geoffrey's whereabouts? Again, Ernie flushed crimson, lowered her eyelids, and remained silent. I have already questioned Ernestine, said Mother. She undoubtedly knows certain facts which would be very useful. I hope that I shall be able to convince her it is her duty to tell us. Uncle George looked from Mother to Ernie in blank amazement. Do you mean to say she won't tell? he demanded. Then there is only one way out of it. She must be made to. I shall try to show Ernie that it is the only way in which she can be of any help to Geoffrey, answered Mother quietly. Uncle George frowned impatiently. I'll tell you what, he said after a moment's thought. I'll give her a five-dollar gold piece for the first bit of information she has to give us. What's more, I'll make it twenty-five dollars if it leads to Geoffrey's capture before night. What do you say to that, my girl? It would be impossible to describe the look of horror depicted in Ernie's features. Betrayed Jeff, her dear chum, her more than brother, for a sordid money reward? If Uncle George had only known it, our last chance of winning Ernie was lost when he uttered those hateful words. But he did not know, and it would have been impossible to make him understand. 
On the contrary, he picked up his hat with a satisfied expression of having set things on the right track at last, and after a final injunction to keep him informed, left us. Mother and I looked hopelessly at one another as the front door closed behind him. Ernie, dear, said Mother, very gently, setting aside all thought of Uncle George's offer, for, of course, it is out of the question that you should accept any money. I expect you to tell me at once all you know in regard to Geoffrey's plans. It may be the means of saving him great hardship and discomfort. Yes, Ernie, I urged, and everybody is agreed that it is much better to break a bad promise than to keep it. Doesn't your own common sense tell you that? But reason, command, entreat as we might, Ernie remained obdurate. She sat on the top stair leading down to the basement, the big tears welling in her blue eyes and trickling along her nose till they dropped from the tip with a little splash into her lap, listening plaintively to all we said, replying nothing, a moving picture of stubborn misery. At last Mother desisted. Ernie, she said, I want you distinctly to understand that I am both disappointed and displeased with you. You are the only person who can be of any help to Geoffrey, but I shall ask you no further questions. When your own good feeling and sense of right prompt you to follow my wishes, I shall be ready to listen to you. Then Mother dressed and went to see Aunt Adelaide. I ran up to the nursery to Robin, and Ernie locked herself in the workshop, where she set to work painting a gorgeous family of Japanese paper dolls for Mary Hobart's birthday, spattering their beflowered kimonos ever and again with a salty drop. She was very forlorn, poor darling distressed beyond measure to feel that her family disapproved of her. Yet she had given her word to Jeff. So the morning passed. Lunchtime came, and still there was no news. The afternoon dragged even more heavily, and when Hazard came home from the office in the evening, he told us that Uncle George had three detectives looking for Jeff, but as yet they had found no clue. Dinner was somewhat of an ordeal. I had the head of the table, as Mother did not feel she could leave Aunt Adelaide, who was in a very apprehensive and nervous state. We tried to keep the conversation to general topics, but the anecdotal vein of the boarders was not to be stemmed. It seems that Geoffrey's escapade reminded everybody of some long-forgotten incident in his or her own family, or the family of a friend, or even a friend's friend. Nothing was too far-fetched to be appropriate. Every possible climax to the adventure was predicted, and the same heartening conversation continued when we gathered in the parlor after dinner to wait for news, till finally, about half-past ten or so, the boarders began to disperse to their rooms, yet not before Mr. Lyle had made a brief, though painful, effort to win Ernie's confidence, for she is a favorite with the kind hippopotamus, and it grieved him to know her in disgrace. Therefore, interrupting his sister, who was condoling with Miss Brown over the sad fate of a nephew of the latter's mother's aunt, who eloped with a sea captain's daughter some sixty years ago, and was finally eaten up by whales off the Cape of Good Hope. I believe it was thus the thrilling story ran. Mr. Lyle, with a sly wink at his wife over the top of his newspaper, began, Miss Ernie, ahem. Ernie looked up from her homework, and the hippopotamus continued ponderously, I suppose you are familiar with the famous anecdote of George Washington and his hatchet? how, when still a young boy, the father of our country, found it impossible, even with the fear of stern chastisement before him, to tell a, uh, uh, a lie, Ernie cautiously refusing to commit herself to any previous acquaintance with the incident, Mr. Lyle continued blandly, Now, my dear child, a similar opportunity is presented to you. 
an opportunity such as you may never meet again a grand opportunity a great one the path of truth is a path of roses for all that it has its thorns even if i may say so because of them he paused impressively and looked ernie firmly in the eye we the audience waited breathless but still mr lyle did not speak so supposing at last the homily must be concluded we were about to return to our various avocations when he positively thundered forth where's your cousin geoffrey where's that willful lad speak i command you everybody in the room jumped and miss lyle who is nervous uttered a hysterical little squawk like a frightened hen ernie alone remained undaunted the poor hippopotamus continued to gaze at her triumph fading to chagrin till finally he turned to his wife with such a disappointed air i thought i could surprise it out of her he said but evidently i uh, i couldn't and a few moments later he bade us a subdued good night and was soon followed upstairs by the rest of the boarders it seems too strange to be sitting here writing these things with no idea where geoffrey may be if only i did not feel my own responsibility so keenly i can see now that i should have told mother last tuesday when i first heard of jeff's truck there's the bell it may be news yes and good news too geoffrey's found he was brought home about eleven o'clock by one of uncle george's detectives who ran across him in a little out-of-the-way cottage in elizabeth where he had spent the day with a german woman who was once a cook at uncle george's when geoffrey's own mother was alive she's married now and has a neat little home of her own with three fat german babies there geoffrey arrived late last night and tomorrow morning he had planned to set out again on his travels and beat his way to south dakota where mrs prendergast the german woman has a brother who works on a cattle ranch think of it dear little ernie broke down completely when she heard of geoffrey's capture she threw herself into mother's arms sobbing convulsively i didn't mean to be naughty mother dear i didn't and of course you know best only i had given my word you see and then uncle george might have made me take that hateful money oh, what are they going to do to geoffrey there there dear said mother don't cry so it's all over now and as to geoffrey you need not worry aunt adelaide and uncle george are only too anxious to forgive him he's acted very wrongly and given us all a great fright but it has been a lesson to everybody concerned and i don't think uncle george holds geoffrey entirely responsible and later after ernie had snuggled down in bed where she dropped at once into an exhausted sleep mother confided to me that she as well as aunt adelaide fears that geoffrey's going to be ill he seemed quite unlike himself this evening indifferent and almost dazed and he still complained of headache aunt adelaide sent him at once to bed and this morning if he's not better he is to see a doctor i say this morning because it's already nearly two o'clock my eyes are sticky with sleep i cannot write another word except to add that even if jeff is to be ill we're all thankful end of section nine recording by colleen mcmahon